Welcome to today's show. And with me is a very, very excited Bryce Kennard, who's just landed here in King Sharka International Airport in Durban. I don't know why they call it international, but we're sitting here at Kathmandu in Belita, which is a wonderful, wonderful location on the Lifestyle Center in Belita. Normally we meet up at the Alchemy Bar, which is a little, uh, which also has a little distillery. You know, we like that kind of theme, especially when I'm talking to distillers. Now, Bryce has just walked in here with a big smile. He's won two double gold awards at the inaugural South African craft. What is it? Craft Gin? Craft Gin Awards. Craft Gin Awards. (laughs) I nearly said Distillers Awards. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about what happened last night. Yes, it was the first of its kind, the Sovereign Craft Gin Awards. Uh, and they had basically invited all the gins, local gins, produced gins in South Africa to enter. Okay. Uh, I believe there were 120 gins that entered. Uh, and yeah, they just had a judging panel and awarded what they believed to be some of the better gins in the country, which is fantastic. Well, that's wonderful. Well done. Yeah. Um, there were quite a lot of, I mean, a lot of double gold. So is that, does that mean the standard is high or <laughs> is it hard to choose? We, yeah, we hope so. We hope the standard's high. Um, yeah, I th- think in total there were, I don't know, between 15 and, and 20, I, I'm guessing, around there. Mm. Uh, but distiller-wise, it was probably only about between 10 and 15 distillers that got it. Uh, a couple of guys got two, two double golds, and I think some even got three double golds, which was really impressive. Uh, but yeah, I think the standard of gin is very good, um, but there's just so much gin on the market at the moment. So I think the idea was this was sponsored by Checkers. Uh, and uh, well, the Checkers Liquor Store and uh, the idea was they wanted to sort of see what is the good gin and what is the not so good gin on the markets out there and that was they were aiming to do with these awards. Yeah, we, I was looking at uh, doing, doing a, a craft beer award thing five years ago and, but the big problem was to get a sponsor like yeah, yeah. Um, obviously t- a liquor shop has come on board with, with this, this particular award that's great. But um, you are a distiller and you come, you live in Sinkwazi, which doesn't make sense. So Sinkwazi is another half an hour or an hour from here north. Middle of nowhere. I'm Middle of here. nowhere. <laughs> and, um, but your story starts um, long before that. You were a, a, yes, a corporate was... slave at Investec and then? There we go. So we in the finance world. Yeah. Uh, and then I quit my job and I opened a bar in, on Windermere Road, just down down from Billy the Bums okay. uh, just before the World Cup Soccer 2010. And that was a baptism of fire, There you we said. go. <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of got me, got my eyes wide open into the liquor industry. And what did uh, you see? Lots of people making money or what? No, the opposite. <laughs> but it was, it was an interesting, the whole, the whole brands and the liquor and building brands and that intrigued me and obviously the actual liquor. I mean, the fact that what guys were doing with products and so, yeah, that's, that's how I got involved uh, in the, on the liquor side. I began actually helping another small distillery uh, build their brands. Uh, and then I realized that the only way to do it is to have your own brands. And your finance background should have helped you not to go into the liquor business. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these guys never listen, and, uh, not even to their own advice. No, we don't. We give advice. We don't listen to it, though. <laughs> okay, so you had a bar. But you say you've been in... in in the liquor business for nine years. Yeah, for nine years. What does that mean? Because we, your, your brands are brand new to me. No, they're very new. They're very new. I originally started uh, doing uh, brands in 
into Africa, so into West Africa, East Africa, uh, lesser quality brands, if I can put them that way. Um, and uh, then we, I, I had a cream liqueur range, I had some really uh, vodkas, brandies, things like that, that we were putting into those into those markets but it's a very volatile market and I think at the same time as time came as time uh, came along the guys are now doing it themselves up there okay. uh, and through that we also realized that the way the world's going is premiumization and people are looking for quality and not quantity okay because it's quite I mean I know in Kluft there's also a company that uh, owns a lot of liquor businesses in Africa and it's not about the brand it's about the you know the, the liquid or whatever and and it's very hard to build a business a long-term business like that or a sustainable business 100 percent and unfortunately in that industry it's price the guys will drop you on a second you know if they can get someone cheaper yeah. and, and that's not where we want it to be uh, and i just the passion of distilling something really good and mm. aging it and the quality you know the quantities very our quantities are very low but we want to produce possibly the best we can and the best products out there but but still, I'm fascinated about this African business because a lot of people do it. Give us a little bit of detail or insight into that, into that kind of business. I think that kind of business is becoming harder and harder. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a lot of it is contact or you know contacts based. But so you didn't have those contacts. No, we slowly had to find them. So you've actually just got to. Unfortunately, a lot of the time you just got to get on a plane and go into interesting places you know, in West Africa and East Africa and meet the contacts. Uh, unfortunately, also, we find a lot of that is talk is cheap, you know, the, a lot of big promises made. So to get the right contacts, to find the right suppliers, and that is very difficult. And then again, it's, it's, it's in dealing, dealing in those countries, it's getting, your, getting the right price, getting your money out. Um, there, are a lot of, there really are a lot of challenges in that, in that market, in that industry, and there are very few guys that have done it right and st- still doing it to be honest so how do you do it do you go and get an order for a container of vodka and then you source the vodka or well back then yes uh and i think the secret up there as well is to make sure you get paid prior to to sourcing and 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 you you being out of pocket uh, a lot of it also done the guys up there want to do their co-branding so they want their brand you'll manufacture a label for them but either on your brand so it's a co-brand or you will develop labels for them so you do basically contract distilling and packing for them so who do you compete with, India or Scotland? Yeah, well, the quality we're putting in is not really the Scottish quality, to be honest, that we're putting <laughs> into a lot of these markets. Uh, strangely enough, a lot of the guys were very interested in cream liqueurs. Uh, there's a perception out there in the rest of the world that after Amarula, you know, South Africa's the only place, okay, minus Bain, ba- Baileys, but uh, are the very few places that make a good cream liqueur. So a lot of demand for cream liqueur. Uh, we did have a couple of cream liqueur ranges, and uh, we do still have one as well. Uh, but there we've gone premium on the cream liqueur as well. Yeah. So markets. But, but who would who made that for you? I made it myself. Oh, you made yeah, it yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. So we sourced all the product, uh, learned how to make it, had a had a couple go off <laughs> in the process, <laughs> but paid our school fees and yeah, we, we we make really good cream liqueur. Because I believe it's not easy to make it. No, it's a terrible terrible uh, thing to work with. Um, it goes, it can go wrong very quickly and very badly. So. Uh, you just got to get the process right on how you make it, um, and then then it's all right. But the, also the sh- problem with it has got shelf life, and it's also um, with heat. It, it it can make it go off. So you have to put it in a dark bottle, wrap it, keep it in cool areas, and that's that's not easy when you're sending it into countries on the equator. 
Yeah. So just 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 to prick our interest, what sort of quantities were you shipping? How many containers a month or a year? We were at, never at, enough. Yeah, but at your peak. <laughs> yeah, we were shipping a couple of containers uh, a month at some stages. But uh, it, again, it, it would be it would feast of famine. You know, you would be you you'd be sending containers up and everything would be great, and then suddenly you dry up and you couldn't get hold of your 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 client for months and they'd just drop off the radar and then suddenly three months before Christmas everyone would come running and want everything now you know and they don't quite understand we don't sit with their stock on the shelf waiting for them to order so yeah it was it was roller coaster all the time and, and that was also one of the the reasons as well one of the things we didn't enjoy about that side of the the market or the industry yeah yeah and uh, did you supply the like Checkers and, and those sort of yeah, chains? Yeah, we, we would supply generally a guy that was involved in the industry that was well connected. So he would then put it into the checkers if he had, okay. a, had a distribution. So we, we didn't actually do, per se, distributing on, on, the, on the ground ourselves. We would line ourselves with a company that would then do the distribution. So mm. we would supply them the product, they'd buy it in bulk, and then they'd break it up into their distribution packages and send it around the country. Okay. Um, yeah. I remember once I had to, we were distributing Corona, and I had to go to some warehouse and I think it was game or checkers and I had to deliver like five cases into all these different cages so that went to Malawi and that little cage yeah. was destined yeah. there so yeah. it was all here in Durban but it then got shipped to yes. across, the, across the continent yeah. no they have, it's quite informal on that side as well, they kind of open the doors of the container and then it's like it just disappears a lot of the time. It'll get loaded into trucks, and that truck's going this way, and that truck's in. And it's not just liquor. They they pack that truck with everything you could possibly imagine out of the market, and off it goes. And strangely enough, that that very informal route, and that they seem to move a, a huge amount of volume of, of uh, cheaper alcohol through that that way. So. Sounds like fun, a very exciting time. <laughs> it is interesting. <laughs> so you're still involved in that business? Uh, no. I, I, well, I say no, very, very little. Uh, we have now focused mainly uh, over the last couple of years on on the premiumization. Uh, while we were starting, while we were doing that, we were at the same time starting to put stuff away and age it and that because it takes forever uh, and it's expensive. So I needed to carry on to finance a lot of it. Um, and yeah, so we slowly drifted away from that and focused more on on distilling sort of our premium small batch products that we that we are that we're offering at the moment. Yeah, so when I first met you, uh, I mean, we, I, I couldn't be, first of all, I couldn't believe that you lived somewhere on the north coast. I thought you were in Cape Town, and I contacted you just before I was flying to Cape Town. And then, yeah, we met here in Belito. But what really struck me is the amount of detail and the, the time that you've, and the design and the presentation and the packaging. It's just unbelievable, your stuff. Thank you. Um, how did you manage to do that? Are you a creative financial guy or what? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> That's why maybe the finances didn't work out. <laughs> um, no, I, the idea behind it was that I think people buy with their eyes. 100%. Uh, and I think the guy, people will walk up to a shelf and they'll look at the brands and within the first 10 seconds they're going to decide what they want. And then they'll then it'll obviously be where the, the falls in with their price range that they're looking at. Uh, so that was a very important for us is to produce a product that people want to buy that's going to look good that people are and, and a lot of the buying is aspirational people are buying it because they want to show it off and, and, and tell, show people that mm. they're buying good products uh, so that was the first step the second step was to create a product that was good enough 
to keep people carrying on buying it. You know, there's no point in spending all the money and time and effort in, on the design and the product inside is, is, is substandard because the guy will buy it once and never buy it again. So those were the two focal points that we tried to drive on. Uh, and yeah, we were very lucky. A lot of it evolved, uh, trial and error with design. Um, and yeah, we work with good people and we've had fun designing it. Yeah. Um, so what, what I mean is that your products, I mean, don't just come from Savia Glass or from Urban Glass, Urban Packaging. You've gone further than that. Yeah. I mean, we when when I did my brands, we went to console and bought those ugly bottles and tried to make the yeah. shrink sleeves, make it look pretty. Then the next generation went and went to Savia Glass and got beautiful bottles. But you've gone a step further. We we originally looked at looked at the the, the, the Savia Glass, and the problem was that everyone was using the same bottles because the 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 options were very limited, mm. to be honest. I think they've got better now, uh, but they were very limited. And then also the lead time and the costs and everything like that. And so we decided to go a bit further and, and look and get our own bottles made. And um, it's it's initially a bit of a costly exercise, but over the medium term, it's actually saving us a lot of money making our own bottles. And the advantage of it is that we get to customize them, we get to emboss the glass, mm. and we can make all our weird and funny shapes. I mean. The brandy, for example, we designed that on a serviette one day sitting in a pub. You know, we thought this would be a cool-looking design, and off we sketched it, and we, we started from there, and people thought we were mad. But now it's, I think it's an amazing-looking bottle, uh, very unique. And, yeah, so that's a lot, of, some of the, a lot of them started. We'd look around and come up with funny designs for our bottles. And, and then, again, try to carry the copper theme through. So we've got those copper badges on all our bottles, or it's a copper cap, and... Yeah, and yeah, we've just had fun designing it and making it look as good as possible. Yeah, and that's w so. Tell us about the name of your company. So the name of the company is Copper Republic. Mm. Uh, I'll be brutally honest; it was Copper House originally, uh, and uh, then there was a Copper House gin in the UK, uh, which potentially could have been a problem. Uh, but we spoke to people and they said it wasn't really a problem the way we we were actually there before them, and and it wasn't really a market anyway. But the big problem came is that our logo was CH. And um, about two weeks before we were going to launch, good old David Beckham launched his Hague Club whiskey in South Africa. And their logo is HC. And when you put a CH on or an HC, they look the same or very similar. So we actually got contacted by their lawyers and said, how do you want to do this? So I don't know how you really take on Diageo and David Beckham. You don't. You don't. So, <laughs> so, so it set us back about a year, to be honest, because we'd actually manufactured some glass with CH on. So we had to go back to the drawing boards. But in hindsight, we are extremely happy we didn't go with Copper House, uh, and we've gone to Copper Republic. And uh, I think we sat down and thought a little bit longer and harder about the name. And I think Copper Republic, being from the Republic of South Africa, uh, copper, significant of the stills, also of Africa, you know, sunsets, the dusk, the, it's a coppery country, it's a coppery co continent. Uh, and I think Copper Republic just signifies the fact that we're a republic, we've got a group, a collection of products, and they all fall under the Copper Republic collection. Yeah, maybe I would have, my personality is the opposite, I would have rushed to market and then changed it, but... Kudos for you for being the, the, patient. The problem is we, we, had, we, we were looking at the export market ultimately and we thought, well, changing a brand halfway through could be more costly than, than doing it from the beginning. So we just bit the bullet, hurt us hugely financially and time-wise. We lost, we lost uh, probably close to a year from launching. 
Um, but in hindsight, I'm glad we did it because it's now we never have to change it. We've got a brand that we're building from scratch and we can go for it now. Yeah. yeah. So the last time we met, um, I think we did the first sale into Tops in, yes. in Belito. Tops Lifestyle. <laughs> and uh, how's it gone from then? No, I, I, it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult market. Let's be honest, it is, is, is winter, it's cold. And, 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 uh, and I get told, I get told, and flooded with 200 gins. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the, the pro- it has slowly ticked over, and and we have got repeat spies and repeat sales, and uh, we are we seem happy with it. Obviously, we would like to drive it a little bit harder. And coming into summer, we want to do a lot more promotional activity and uh, get get more liquor to lips, get people tasting our product and knowing it. Yeah. So t- tell us about the range. So we've got seven products in the in the in the stable in the collection. Uh, so, so you do, you don't do anything in half measures. No, if we're going to do it. We go for it. <laughs> so we got seven. So we got two gins. Uh, we got an African dry gin, which is our take on a London dry style uh, with African botanicals. Uh, so you have got your confetti bush, your buchu, your, uh, your wild rosemary in that. Uh, very very nice gin, very classic in its making. Uh, and then we've got a rooibos and grapefruit gin. Uh, similar, similar made in that it's uh, all fresh produce, and then we distill it also with a little bit of feinbos. But then we, it's quite citrus forward, and then towards the end we then seep it in rooibos. So we got the sweet of the rooibos and the, the citrus of the grapefruit. Uh, then we've got two brandies: a Copper Republic Honeybush Wood Aged Brandy, and a Copper Republic uh, Rooibos Wood Aged Brandy, which we believe is kind of first of its kind to the market. Um, or ever, I say that, dare I say that, um, where we've taken uh, Cape Brandy, really good quality Cape Brandy, and we've aged in ex-bourbon barrels. So we've adjusted the charring ratio in the bourbon barrels. So you've got a good whiskey char barrel, and we put brandy in it, and then towards the end of it, we then finish it off with rooibos wood in the barrel, or we put honeybush wood in the barrel to get it. And the honeybush is slightly less charred, so it's a little bit more sweet with the rooibos, a bit more smoky rooibos flavor. And these are the, the two bottles that I like so much. Yes, those, those, are, those are the ones we designed on our serviette. <laughs> yeah. so, so if you see these bottles, you'll want to buy them. I mean, not only have you got the, the bourbon casks, but it also has got that look of, of really of a bottle of, a pack, of packaging that you, you don't find in South Africa. No, thank you. It looks like uh, you've got resources that nobody else has got. We're just boxing clever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. But um, they really do look nice. And how do they... Have you, have you got some nice sales out we, of those? We're slowly getting it. It, it. it is a difficult market to change the, the general brandy perception mm. in South Africa, which is difficult. Uh, generally, people want to put Coke... Mm. Coca-Cola with their brandy, which uh, we don't really want you to do with a product such as this. Uh, but it's slowly coming around, and I think the whole gin is opening people's ideas, mm. people's eyes to new ideas on ways to drink products and that. So we are getting there, but again, it's it's education. We need to get people tasting it, seeing it. Um, and it, I mean, it's an amazing product, and we've created funky different ways of drinking it. I mean, for example, the rooibos, you, you know, you drink it with a bit of tonic and mm. a shot of bitters, and it's amazing on us, you know, and people... That's a brandy. That's a brandy, and no one thinks of drinking it like that. I mean, and then the honey bush you'll drink with a little, uh, again, a simple pour, a little bit of, uh, 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 listen to me, a little bit of lemon juice, a little dash of bitters as well, and you drink it with ginger beer, and it's amazing. So, and people can drink those all day, but no one knows about it. So we're slowly trying to educate people, and we're hoping the bottle people buy just because it's good looking. 
uh, and then slowly learn how to drink it. So, but it, people are awakening to the brandy, and um, I mean, particularly in Cape Town, I know uh, cause and effect. They're just launching at the moment as well, and then he's doing wonderful things for brandy. And brandy certainly, if I can now to say that, it is starting to trend in Cape Town. And who knows, it could be the next next one as opposed to everyone's calling rum. Maybe brandy could have its turn as well. Yeah, look, I think that the guys behind that are sitting with all these these massive amounts of brandy are putting money into the into the craft industry and. We've seen it with Musgrave, and yes, um, yeah. you know that. Uh, you know, it's not by choice. I think there's a, there's an incentive to promote brandy. Okay, is it? Uh, I wish I was being incentivized to oh, promote well, brandy. I think you should try. Yeah, maybe I'm picking <laughs> the wrong people. <laughs> but no, we 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 oh, we've had. Yeah, we on our own on the brandy. Uh, okay. we, we we just thought it was there is brandy in this country. We're renowned for making good quality brandy, yeah. uh, and I mean some of the best brandy in the world we make here. Um, it just was a no-brainer for us to not make brandy. We've got we've got all the resources here to make the brandy. So, and again, we wanted to make brandy that was different. Mm. So put it in a bourbon barrel, give it a smoke, you know. But but still staying true to the brandy. I mean, I think that's what people are. are it's becoming a bit of a grey area. Where a definition of brandy or whiskey is it can only be aged colored with wood. You know, so as soon as you start adding a colorant or flavorant, it's not a brandy or a whiskey. Mm. It becomes another category. So we wanted to stay true to the brandy category. So it's only wood that has gone in there and that is affecting the color or the flavor. Okay. So you've got gin, brandy, and? Then we've got another two brandies. Okay. Yeah, you know, more brandy. Uh, and these two are our Cape Brandy. So these two, if I'm allowed to say, we're trying to rival Cognac. Uh, with the Cape Brandy. With the Cape Brandy. It's made exactly the same way as and Cognac. And that's a club, is it? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, so, what is so, Cape Brandy? Is so it, Cape Brandy, they, we, are, yeah, we are many, 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 many years behind the curve here. Yeah? Mm. Uh, it is a product of origin is what they're trying to register it. So it's the same as Cognac. Cognac's a brandy made in the Cognac Valley of France where Cape Brandy is going to be a brandy made in the Cape area using grape, the wine grapes of the Cape region. Mm. So they've, they stick to the same requirements as cognac. It has to be double pot stilled. It has to be aged for a certain, uh, certain amount. And the way it's made is, is, is stipulated. Mm. So they, and, and then it's got your age statements as your VSOP and your XO. So your VSOP for Cape Brandy is five years, which cognac is only four years. Now, cognac will fall in line with the five years. That is their plan in years to come. And the XO, our Cape brand is 10 years and cognac is eight years. So we're trying to set ourselves above with higher standards. Uh, but the products are amazing. They really are top, top notch. But again, it's trying to convince people that Cape brandy is as good as cognac. We all know it's better, but the, we don't have the the image of cognac mm. and that's that's the challenging part to be honest so give us an example of a well-known cape brandy <laughs> zula <laughs> no <laughs> um i i think good cape brandies i think you've got uh fun rains make some some good cape brandies okay. that's just still is it um yeah i'm not sure if that's oh. still or fun rains so they've got they've got again it depends <sighs> I'm not, not, I don't know if all Von Rains is Cape Brandy, but they have got some really good Cape Brandy. Uh, you're looking at Molen. Molen's got some really good Cape Brandy. Um, they, are, they are out there. Mm. Um, people just need to be more aware of what, they, what they're buying. I mean, and, they, and these are brandies that 
you can sit and drink very, very comfortably, neat, and all with a bit of ice. You mm. certainly don't need to be mixing with Coke. Well, I think it's always always good to have a gateway brand. That's why I'm yes. taking that angle. So yeah. if you like the fancy Odo Molen, and it's probably not all of them, but yeah. the fancy Odo Molens, and use that as a gateway to get into the category. No, 100%, 100%. And then the last one we've got is uh, our whiskey, which we're all very excited about. Um, unfortunately, I've got quite limited supply. Uh, wish I'd known what I know now five years ago, but, but I didn't. So, um, yeah, we, we've got a 100% South African produced whiskey, one of the few in the country, and uh, made from grain, single grain, single millies. And uh, we use ex-bourbon barrels, and then we adjust the char in the bourbon barrel to get the smokiness that we require. And it's a double fill, which means halfway, or not halfway, a certain stage of its life. We pull it out, have a look at it, and then readjust re the charring on the second barrel and put it back in, and it's, then off we go. It sounds very complicated. It is, but what? it's fun. <laughs> so who, where did you learn all these tricks? Slowly. I slowly. have to admit, slowly. So no, what, what, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to illustrate is you didn't just get a consultant to do it for you. No, a lot of it we... I must be honest, the industry is quite tight-lipped in mm. certain aspects. And uh, I was describing to someone the other day, in the beginning, it's like walking around in a room in the dark, just feeling around, hopefully trying to find the light switch, which you know, takes a while to find. Well, it sounds so, like Lorna from Inveros. She, in, in, when I had her on the podcast, I mean, she started with rum and she, she says she didn't know anything and there was nobody, there was no courses, no. there was nothing. Yeah. Um, so, you, I mean, for me, it, as, an, as an outsider or at arm's length, I would say you just went to somebody and say, make me these brands, I'll find the nice bottles. But uh, that's not the case. No, not, not the case at all. Um, I think we also wanted something different. You know, if you go there and you just get a, a whiskey, let's, I mean, first of all, there are no, there, no, 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 there are no, there, there's no supply. I mean, someone like, uh, Baines is not going to say, oh, yeah, here we go. Here's a, here's a whiskey. Start up a whiskey with us. They're not interested in that. I mean, I think as it is, they, they're doing so well, they don't have any supply to give to anyone anyway. So so to be a South African whiskey, you have to start from scratch. And uh, the whiskey guys, they're not many in this country, and the guys that are doing it are generally not going to run out and go help someone as competition. So that was quite difficult uh, to start up. But there are guys out there that have helped, and I must admit, we have received help, but just advice, a little bit here, a little bit there, and as you slowly put it all together, and a little bit of trial and error, and we've got a lot of whiskey that we're still trying to work our way through. <laughs> that was the trial and error. Uh, but yeah, till eventually we created something that we like, you know, and then, then obviously all your friends and family tell you how amazing it is, but you need, need more than that. So, so yeah, then we'd send it out to other guys and get opinions, and, and uh, look, it's our style of whiskey. Uh, we really like it, and the feedback we've had has been amazing. And some people, it's whiskey. Not everyone's going to like whatever whiskey's made. So there's a market out there for for most whiskeys. I see that you were at Whiskey Live. What was the response yes, there? Yes, that was one of the first things we did. We were very lucky the guys got hold of us and said, let's, let's get involved. The uh, response was amazing. Um, we, we, there were 14 whiskeys. We were the only South African whiskey at Whiskey Live. And, um, yeah, we... Why could Baines not afford the fee? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> and um, yeah, we, we did exceptionally well. We, uh, in Cape Town, we were second best selling whiskey of the event behind Johnny Walker, White Walker. And we're not really going to beat that in the middle of Game of Thrones. So, no. 
So yeah, we were very, very happy with it. And the response and the feedback we got was great. You know, people like it. And people also want to support local, you know, especially whiskey. Uh, there are a lot of whiskey drinkers out there. And to be able to get behind another South African brand, people, people want to support local. But that's also a new thing. I mean, you yes. couldn't have imagined five years ago that anybody would drink a South African whiskey. No, no. If they did, it's because they didn't know that it was from South Africa. 100%. No, I, I mean, the likes of other South African whiskies have certainly paved the way. And I think that the whole craft gin and the whole craft beer and that has also opened people's eyes to new things. And But I mean, the whole world's going that way. I mean, if you look at Japanese whiskey, five years ago, you know, no one could pay you enough to go drink a Japanese whiskey. Now, the Japanese distilleries have got a five-year waiting list for their products. Well, they've they got to import it from Scotland and yeah, sell it as Japanese whiskey. They can't make it fast enough. So I think the world's looking for new and different products. But again, it's still got to be quality, mm. which, is, which is the trick. And starting a business, I mean, first of all, on the, on the making side, you don't own a distillery. How do you do that? How do you, how do you find people, or is it just knocking on doors? And if you find them, how do you, do you buy time, or do you rent the distillery, or do they make it for you? A lot of it, we, we, do, we do most of, or if not all, the distilling, a lot of it ourselves. So what, uh, what we've done is because we've got a range of product, we've also identified you've got to make it with the right equipment, you, you know, to get the quality you're looking for. So we have worked with guys where we will come in and use the equipment, uh, do our distillation, get the product we want, and then we take it off and we do our aging. So that is how we've managed to do it uh, through a lot of it. Uh, again, it's also the finance side. You know, we've decided to allocate a lot of our resources to getting our product looking good, uh, to getting the products we want, um, as opposed to investing in physical big distilleries. Uh, that is the next step. So the idea is to get our brands doing well, uh, box clever, if I can call it that, to get the quality that we need. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we're in the process of looking to build a, a really bigish distillery, if we can, and bring everything back under one roof at the moment. Mm. Uh, of course, it won't be the Cape brandy that has to be made in the Cape, um, but the rest of it will move all back up to KZN. That's the plan. So the plan is to build a distillery here. Okay. And timeline, have you got... Finance dependent? <laughs> <laughs> no, we would always like to get it going as quickly as possible. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we obviously got to got to see how the finances are going that's that's the catch mm. but uh yeah we, we're getting there and, and we, rum have you done anything with rum we've played with ideas of rum we've played with rum but um rum is a tricky one uh, in that i think it needs to be made correctly um i think it has to be a good rum if it's going to succeed uh, and yeah i mean it would make sense i i'm currently surrounded by sugarcane it's crazy that i haven't mm. made rum yet um but we, we definitely are looking at rum, and yeah, we've got some things up our sleeves. Mm. Yeah, last week we had Grant uh, McMurray on the okay. on the show from Topanga. Yes, he's not yes, far yes. from you. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he's he's doing well with rum up there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so give us talk to us a little bit about starting. I mean, you've taken extra long to get the bottles right and the 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 content. Now, how do you take it to market? Was it easy? No. No, not by any, and, and especially now, um, you know, we, it would have been nice to have launched back in the day when there were only 10 craft gins. Uh, now the market is completely flooded, uh, and I think a lot, of, a lot of stores has become more and more difficult to get into, where prior you would walk up to 
the store manager and he would be like, that looks great, put it on the shelf. Now you have to submit it to head office, it's got to sit on a panel, they bring in experts to taste it, and then only once it gets approved by them, do they want to list it, and then it's the distribution, and it's, it's, it's a little bit more challenging than I think it was a couple of years ago. Um, but, but yeah, I think you just got to carry on putting your head down and just slog through it. And, and again, you, you've got to be careful with who you get. To, you know, a lot of people make crazy promises about what they can do for you. And, and that, a lot of the time, you have to just learn the hard way. Uh, but you slowly sift out who, who, who the good guys are in the industry to work with and who the ones aren't. Mm. Yeah, and uh, so where's, where are your products available now? Well, we're slowly launching it. So uh, we're in Joburg at the moment. So we're in a lot of the Topses. Uh, we're in Topses and KZN. Uh, we're busy launching into more of the Topses. Uh, we're in Liquor City. We are in, um, oh, where? I can't remember. We're in Norman Goodfellows. Mm. We, we're in a lot of the, a lot of the main outlets. Uh, but we are deciding to take more of a strategic approach in our distribution, uh, purely to try to give, offer better support. You know, unfortunately, I don't have the, the marketing budgets and allocations that Distel has. So to me, I'd rather pick a couple of, you know, we got re- we got really premium products. I'd rather focus on a smaller area where potentially those products are bought more or more supported more and, and give them the support. So as opposed to trying to put a bottle in every store around the country, we're going to try line ourselves up with strategic partners and support them and try to grow the brand that way. We like in Joburg. So Joburg and that, even in KZN. So if we go in with the tops, we want to support uh, quality tops like the Lifestyle, you know, mm. and the Hillcrest and the Park Lane, and you know, so support support the 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 the, the topses that that we feel are going to drive the brand, help us build the brand, and and that um, that we could potentially move product in and and grow. And through that, we would we would like to allocate most of our resources to those topses, you know, get the tasting, get the guys in on a Saturday, and you know, let people experience the brand so they know what they're buying. You know, it's a, it's a the economy is tough at the moment, and to go there and see products at the prices that they're at, and you've never tasted them before, it's a leap of faith to just go and buy it. So we want people to be able to taste it and see for themselves the quality of the product, and then 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 buy it. But that only happens through tastings and promotions, and that's what we want to do. But we can't do that everywhere, so we just got to strategically pick partners we want to work with and, and support them properly, not just once off. Mm. Okay. Have you got any listings in restaurants where people can try it? Yeah. You were talking about uh, the one in Cape Town? Or is it cause, cause and effect? Is that generally for brandy? Or? Yeah, that's generally for brandy. We've got, it, we've got into a couple of hotels down there. Um, Guys are running some competitions with some of our brands of cocktails. Mm. Um, it's it's slowly getting there. The problem is we've got now with Cape Town um, is a lot of guys have already printed their menus, so they're waiting for summer. So they're all keen, but they end of September. The guys will start relisting okay. because it's uh, they're waiting for the summer menu mm. because it's a, like winter in Cape Town and summer are like two different lands. Down. <laughs> yeah. I believe so. Um, in terms of help from the industry or finding a network what what do you think would be an important opportunity or what resources would you have liked to have had I mean the craft beer industry is slowly getting their act together with with beer South Africa um, or or with the distribution industry or you know where where do you see 
where where did you really struggle to find? Uh, I mean, you made such nice products, but yeah, it's it's a tricky one because a lot of industry, a lot of it's it's a new industry, mm. so everyone's out there fighting for space, fighting for sales, and. Um, you know, in, you can always sit back when you're an established brand and say, oh, come, let's everyone support each other. But in the beginning, when you're starting out from scratch, you know, it's, it's and especially with there's so many gin products and craft products, it's very difficult. And so when someone does get something right, they sometimes are a little bit reluctant to share it with everyone because they've had to work so hard and fight so hard for it to, to become right. Mm. Uh, and, you know, even with the distributors, a lot of the guys we've found is you'll, You'll work. You'll find a distributor that that is doing doing it well, doing it right. But he may be tied up with an existing brand, a bigger established brand, where they'll then go, "Well, we want exclusivity to you as a distributor. You know, if you take on other brands, we're going to leave you." So the distributor also sort of gets tied up a little bit. And I suppose it's in his best interest. They're working together and they're doing that. But that does kind of make it a little bit difficult to get into those areas. Um, because they're tied up with, with the exclusivity clauses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of the other problems is you then get the distributors that will take everybody. So the guy's sitting with 50 gins on his portfolio. Now, as a starting brand, how are you going to stand out from the rest unless you go do it yourself? You know, the rep of that distribution company now walks into a restaurant and says, yeah, I've got 50 gins, pick one. You know, how's, how's he going to... So then it becomes who incentivizes the rep the biggest to get the... So it, it, it is a bit of a dog-eat-dog world out there, um, which, is, which is interesting. So how to improve that, I don't know how they're going to do that, to be honest. I think I, I, the guys who are doing it well are not going to just roll over and give it to the guys that aren't. So I don't know. It would be interesting to see if they do create a gin distribution network. Mm. I don't know. But I do think they in the gin industry there's going to be some leveling out I don't think this industry can support 200 gins or apparently it's 280 gins now so we will have to see where it goes yeah okay Bryce I'm, I'm really chuffed with your with your medals and I hope that um, they also translate into sales people must go and try your, try your gins <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, look out for for the beautiful products if you walk into uh, a store like Lifestyle Tops, there's an overwhelming amount of different gins, but your bottles do stand out, and uh, I hope that people will take the time to go and have a look for them and uh, go and seek them out. And if you're in the retail business, go contact Copper Republic and check out their their brands. What are where can people find you? Uh, if uh, online, uh, copperrepublic.com, uh, or on Instagram or Facebook, uh, Copper Republic Distilling. Yeah, so is, is Copper Republic distilling. I mean, obviously, I found you on social media, but uh, have you had a lot of luck with social media? Are you putting a lot of effort into that? I'll be honest; it's, it is it is certainly a, a weak point of mine. Um, my wife is trying to help me uh, get it up and running, uh, and it is something we are trying to drive stronger. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's a there's a definite following out there, and uh, it's growing and growing, and we're getting better and better. And so hopefully, hopefully we'll translate into some sales yeah not only the the hopefully not only the competition is following no. you <laughs> yeah okay Bryce it was nice talking to you and uh, especially on a, on after winning those two double goals nice no. to talk to you and we'll we'll chat again soon thanks Hog. I really appreciate it <laughs> cheers cheers
thank you for joining us today, and it's lovely to listen to local stories. If you enjoyed that one, you might want to tune into the story where we interviewed Nziki Biela, the first black female winemaker in South Africa, and she hails from Matlabatini in northern KZN. The best way to listen to our podcast is not on your laptop or on your desktop. Subscribe on your Android phone or on your iPhone and get each episode delivered directly to your phone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. This episode was brought to you by DrinksBiz, a network for business owners and professionals in the beverage industry. Cheers until next time.